I really believe that the culture is what's going to ground you in a time of incredible uncertainty. So the world can be swirling around you, but if you know your values as an organization, your values provide a sense of consistency and stability. But somebody said to me that the role of a leader during the time of crisis is to calmly balance candor and hope in the midst of the storm. Hi, I'm Jeff Holden, principal and founder of Multipoint Content Strategies and Hear Me Now Studio for podcast production. Many of our local nonprofit agencies have made our community better with their outlook of hope for those they serve. With economic headwinds facing most, if not all, I've offered our studio to produce a podcast for them to help tell their stories in their words to provide another opportunity to reach out for support at a time when so many of their fundraising efforts have become challenging. Our purpose in doing so is to inform and direct interested donors or volunteers to those organizations that do so much for us and keep that candle of hope burning brightly for all. I'm speaking today with Dr. Linda Farley, Chief Executive Officer of Girl Scouts, Heart of Central California. She's responsible for over 16,000 girls in 18 Northern and Central California counties. Our discussion's a bit different in that we're talking not about what the Girl Scouts need in this time of radical change, but what our community gains from the Girl Scouts as a result of five lessons of leadership that Linda has been practicing and will share with us. Linda, I am very excited to speak with you for many reasons, but primarily because we're going to take a bit of a different approach to this discussion about the organization you're responsible for, and that's the Girl Scouts, Heart of Central California. Many of the nonprofits in this particular series we're doing have been using the podcast to alert or educate and ask for support for a recently canceled event or fundraiser. That's not an approach we're going to take today. We're going to discuss the significance of the Girl Scouts' role they play in leadership in our community. And as a former Girl Scout, a doctor in education leadership, and now CEO of the Girl Scouts Heart of Central California, tell me a little bit about how this came to be that you find yourself full circle from your childhood and now in a significant role leading the young girls and women of the Girl Scouts. Well, thank you, Jeff. I was born and raised in Sacramento, and I was a Girl Scout growing up, actually, in this council. And my sisters were Girl Scouts, and my mother was our troop leader. So I definitely have a history with the Girl Scout movement. But I moved uh, away from Sacramento for about 30 years and came back in 2008. And during that time, I just did a number of things, but really had a focus on education and leadership. I went back to school and got my master's at Michigan State at their School of Ed. And then I went on to get my doctorate with a major in leadership. So I call myself a little bit of a leadership geek. And that's why I think Girl Scouting is so perfect for me because we are the premier leadership development organization for girls. And I was lucky in that I came back in 2008 and went to work for the Crocker Art Museum. And one of our board members was the CEO of Girl Scouting at the time, Pam Saltenberger. And I told her one day, as she mentioned to me that she might consider retiring, I told her that, gosh, if there was any other job I wanted in Sacramento, it would be hers, of course, after she retired. So I guess they say the rest is history. That was 2013 when I took over for her and have had just a, an incredible experience really bringing this organization 
into the 21st century and really being as relevant as we can for young women. I was going to use that leadership geek because I knew it, but it's now self-professed. It makes it even more comfortable. (laughs) Yes. You recently ran a really wonderful ad in the Sacramento Business Journal and it addressed the significance the Girl Scouts play in mentoring and role modeling leadership in a girl's life, building relationships, learning, demonstrating skills in a variety of capacities, but ultimately developing leaders for our communities, building women of courage, confidence, and character. You would appear to be the model of the vision and mission of the organization, and now knowing you come from the same source that you originated at, that's really, really unique that you would be in the same situation so many years later. We're in a unique time in our country's history. Some, maybe many would argue leadership is scarce at a time when we need it most. What steps have you taken and what suggestions might you have as you lead your team through one of the most uncertain situations we all find ourselves in? Well, it truly is an extraordinary, unique time. We've all tried to find the words to describe it, Jeff. And it was probably March 12 when it occurred to me that we were going to need to have staff work from home and that we were really shifting into a new way of working. And with that, I really shifted into almost a different role as the CEO because I had had such an external focus and I realized I really needed to step into more of the day-to-day operations of the organization because I really believe that CEOs or executive directors really need to be visible and present during these times, that we really need to be the glue for the organization. Now, I have the best executive leadership team. They, in turn, have awesome leaders on their teams that they oversee. And our organization as a whole just has incredible staff members. And, you know, that really has served us well during this time. But I really believe that even with all that leadership in the organization, that staff really want to be assured that the person in charge, the person who's really has the most responsibility weighing on their shoulders, knows what's going on and is really upfront and honest with them, and, and that staff hear from that person directly, not through other staff. So though my team is more than capable of running the day-to-day operations, I stepped in and probably was a little more directive than I normally am. But gosh, in those first couple of weeks, we were monitoring what was happening, you know, in the news, what our governor was saying, what we were learning, and really adjusting our activities and our actions and figuring out how we would focus our work, again, especially in those first few weeks. So I was really visible, really present with staff as we were moving into this time of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. How were you visible and present? You weren't able to physically be in the same space. What technique, tools, methods were you using to make sure that you stayed present for them? Well, uh, first for all staff, and we have close to 80 people on our staff that we schedule immediately uh, weekly all staff meetings for about an hour, hour and a half every week. And we've done that since late March. So that, and we were on Zoom, we were on, you know, where staff could see me, I could see them. And so I think that was a really big aspect of this. And then, you know, my executive team, we were just literally on the phone, probably every 30 minutes watching things. So, and then they in turn were communicating with, with their leadership teams. 
you know, sometimes it's not that maybe you're visibly necessarily all the time present, but staff can hear your voice and they recognize that this is coming from you. Did you find in the process that maybe there was a point of enough or there was a point of not enough or too much? Say a little bit more about that. Enough of you, of leadership. (laughs) Oh, God, she's going to call me (laughs) again. Is she just checking up on me or is she really offering? You know, I have to say, Jeff, I think, again, especially during uh, the first weeks of this and maybe months of this, there really wasn't too much. I mean, I would joke like, it's me again when Mm -hmm. I would call my COO on the phone. And I think she sincerely was happy to hear from me. I mean, she still is, but it has certainly slowed down a bit in terms of our communication because we have things in place. We're working off a set of critical priorities. Staff know their function and their role, but you know, the first few weeks of this, people are afraid they're gonna lose their jobs. They don't know how they are going to do their work. Just a whole set of things that the leader, it's all about kind of calming being transparent, but being a calming force within this storm. Mm -hmm. And I think we all would agree that these noon chats, whether they're presidential or gubernatorial, they're starting to get a little old because we're not getting enough new information and we're seeing enough of the same information in every source that we get. So I think that's a really critical element of it all. You mentioned your team and the people surrounding you and the significance of their efforts. That's partly culture, and culture plays an important role in any organization, and we've spoken with many other executive directors for their teams and clearly stated those who have the stronger cultures have the stronger teams. How is that reflected in the Girl Scouts you lead? Well, I, I, as I reflect back, I realize just how critical the deliberateness of us creating a culture, uh, how that's benefited us, and so we have spent months, literally, on creating a community statement that is essentially a set of values for our organization that we have been working with our staff on. It's not what we do or why we do it. It's not our purpose or our mission. It's how we do it. It's how we work with each other, how we treat each other, how the work gets done, how we work with our members, with our girls. And we spent time on it and, um, and have been deliberate about what we want to see in those values. And so we have a set of seven statements. One is that we're accountable for individual team and organizational goals. Another is that we challenge our fears and demonstrate our courage. So those two value statements right there just kind of came to life during this crisis because all of a sudden it wasn't about an individual goal. It really was now about an organizational goal. You know, what are we going to do to not just survive this, but to thrive in this time? And then how do we really face and challenge our fears and demonstrate the courage to do the work that we knew we needed to do? again, during an extraordinary time. You know, another one of our values is that we care about each other, which sounds maybe kind of trite, but we put it in writing and we live it out. And so those weekly all staff meetings is a, is a big piece about caring and what we do at those meetings, the agenda, the thoughtfulness of the agenda. I started this early on. On a Friday, I sent out an email to all staff and I said, I know this is a difficult time, 
But we also know that being grateful and sharing something we're grateful for can really lift our spirits. So here's one time I'm going to ask you to hit reply all Mm -hmm. in an email and let everybody know what you're grateful for. And so we do that now every Friday. And it's such a positive way to end a week and to see um, how staff are taking care of themselves, what brings them joy, what's bringing them comfort. And then on the following Wednesday morning, when we have our all staff meetings, we put all those words into a word cloud and share that with all staff and staff share photos. We have virtual buddies for those people who maybe want a little extra support. And so we've buddied them up with people. So all of those things are part of our culture and our value. And I really believe that the culture is what's going to ground you in a time of incredible uncertainty. So the world can be swirling around you, but if you know your values as an organization, your values provide a sense of consistency and stability to say, look, we don't know maybe what tomorrow's going to bring, but we know how we're going to treat each other. We know how we're going to work together. And so I'm so thankful that we went through that process the first of the year in January and have been working with it ever since. And I think it's just really helped us become even stronger and do the kind of work that we're doing now as as a team. The recognition of gratitude is really significant. And and I hear that in a lot of different places now, just accepting what is because we're anxious. And as that anxiety is there to realize that there are things to still be thankful for and to know other people are thankful for either you or their team around them or other things that are significant in their lives is really helpful to share. Have you seen anything? We're talking at the administration level Have you seen anything from any of the actual Girl Scouts, the girls that you work with, that has impressed you bringing it into the organization as part of the culture? Well, our our girls are always such an example of what it means to have that courage, confidence, and character. The things that they're doing, the volunteering that they're doing, they're wanting to have an impact at a time when they have to be at home. And so they are making the masks. They are sending cards to nursing homes and those types of facilities. So there we have various service projects that they can engage in during this time that really shows the value of being a Girl Scout and what this is really all about. And Girl Scouts have such a long history of serving during times of crises, you know, mm-hmm. World War One and World War Two, et cetera. Girl Scouts have always been there stepping up saying, what can we do? So we have to do it a little differently now. They've donated lots of cookies to uh, hospitals and medical professionals and all of that, I think, just really reinforces who we are, Jeff, as an organization. And that impacts staff because there's a lot of congruency between what our girls are doing and who we are as a staff. And you said the cookie word. I was going to save that to the end of the conversation, but since we just touched on it, the cookie sales was right prior to, if I'm not mistaken, the whole lockdown. How did the cookie sales go this year for you guys in the community? Well, I need to thank the community uh, for supporting Girl Scouts because we had a wonderful cookie year. So we were good. There were some Girl Scout councils around the country who their cookie sales started later, and so they aren't as good. And so there's a national effort. So if you're still interested in purchasing cookies, you can by going to girlscouts.org. And you can 
buy them from a council around the country who's didn't have as good a year. Well, the ones that I buy are Thin Mints, and I freeze them, so they last. You're fine. For a long You'll time. You'll be good. I, I, You'll be I, good. I, and your favorite is which cookie? Well, you know, I think the Caramel Delights are right up there. There's something about the chocolate and the coconut and the caramel that all soft and chewy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a cup of coffee. I'm sorry. I hope you go home and take those minutes <laughs> out of the freezer, Jeff. Getting back to the discussion, in nearly every podcast I'm listening to or people that I've talked with, what we're finding that whether it's personal or professional, there's a few key words that keep getting repurposed. Authenticity is one of them. Tell me a little bit about that within the framework of your leadership. You know, I, I kind of look at that as transparency also and kind of a willingness to be vulnerable to staff. And I think both, all of that is an important, are important elements of leadership. And I think especially in, in times of crisis, it takes on a whole nother level of importance. I think I tend to be pretty transparent anyway with the staff, but I realize now, again, being visible and present and being very honest with them was going to be very, very important because, again, there was so much uncertainty. There still is so much uncertainty. But somebody said to me that the role of a leader during the time of crisis is to calmly balance candor and hope in the midst of the storm. And so I think it's finding that balance of candor and hope, and that's what I worked to do. Maybe I don't always find that balance, but, and I think a a piece that goes with this, Jeff, is trust. And trust is is just so critical at these times that the staff need to trust me. They need to trust our executive team that we're going to make the right decisions for them and for the council. And so I really wanted staff to know as as we were working through this process, what challenges we were working on, what decisions needed to be made, what data we were using to make those decisions. And we established and still have weekly priorities that would change from week to week given the challenges. And they were really the major issues that we needed to address, just the top three or four. And the top one has always been to, to stay safe, sheltered and healthy and always our top priority. But, you know, as we would meet as a full staff every Wednesday morning, we would talk about these priorities. We would talk about how we were making the decision, what information we were used. Now, we didn't make the decisions by consensus. And I think for organizations who make the the majority of their decisions that way, it can be a very tough time because I think the time now is to be pretty decisive in decision-making and a little more directive than maybe some people are comfortable with, but things had to happen pretty quickly. But I, you know, I, I think I shared with our staff what I was most concerned about without being an alarmist. I wanted to be straight with them, but I didn't want them to worry. And so we did everything. We first for uh, the end of March decided we would work a 32 hour week in April because we didn't want to furlough people. And uh, we told them that. And this was before the PPP funding and all of that. And so we were we went to a 32-hour week, and I explained why, and I explained what we would be doing with the money that we were saving and how that would help us into the future. And I think they, they maybe didn't like it, but they understood, and I think they were happy to have their jobs. And then when we got the funding, we told them we had applied, stay tuned. We received the funding fairly quickly, and we could bring everybody back to a 40-hour week. We could make them whole for the two weeks that we worked 32 hours, and it was great. 
And so things like that, keeping them informed along the way, just so important. I think my point around this is that the last thing staff should worry about during a time of crisis, and, and with this, it's economic, it's a health crisis, but the last thing they should worry about is whether the CEO is being straight with them and whether they can trust the CEO. Mm-hmm. That should be the last thing on a staff member's mind. That should just happen. And so that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to make sure happen was I wanted them to know that I was going to make the best decisions possible for the organization and for them, you know, and, and still will going forward. So I think that's where authenticity and transparency and all of those great words, vulnerability, come in as a leader, the willingness to do that and say, hey, I may not have this right, but this is what we're going to do and we'll see where we go. Well, in each one of those opportunities or each one of those words, authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, they actually create trust. It establishes mm-hmm, yeah. trust and relationship with a team. You said one word that we haven't heard peppered throughout, but it really is seems to be the key word for everything today, and that's hope. And as you see the future, that's the hope element. You have to have hope or you have nothing. You've fallen into the abyss. And I think with all the leadership or with all the leaders where they have the established trust and there is vulnerability and there is authenticity and transparency – that team sees movement and continues that hope. So they know they're going to come out of it. There's light at the end of the tunnel and that we're in good shape because we're in good hands. And I really appreciated you saying the consensus versus directive again, because so many times today we're seeing people try to build the consensus around their group or see what's the right thing to do by what they're hearing. And we're losing time and we're losing opportunity in the process. And at the same time, point, they're losing confidence from their teams because people are looking for somebody to just take the ball and run with it. Just let me follow right now. I don't want to have to think about it. So congratulations on your team's acceptance of that and willingness to do it. It's not an easy task. Change is imminent and we are undoubtedly thrown into it willingly or unwillingly in a dramatic fashion. And A lot of things have changed in the way people live, just living. But from the business perspective, we're no longer to meet. We don't have gatherings. There's no events. There's no Girl Scout things taking place. There's no admin meetings for your Friday expressions of gratitude in person. So as we go through the process and before we get to whatever the new normal is, what normal looked like obviously is very, very different What are some of the things that you're doing to ensure the Girl Scouts are able to function and continue in this new world to get us into what the new normal will be? Well, I think that's definitely where hope comes in. And, you know, somebody asked me a question early into this process and said, what is the fear that will help shape the future of your work? And wow, I just really started to reflect on that and thought, it's this uncertainty And so it really shifted my thinking away from we're waiting for all of this to end so that we can go back to how things were before. We're going to wait it out. It shifted it to let's assume and understand what things might change because there's no end to this uncertainty right now. And what can we do 
to support our girls. And really, it wasn't just an opportunity to support our girls right now. It was a responsibility. Our girls need us now more than ever. Mm -hmm. And so when we really began to think about it, we thought, well, we can do virtual troops. Girls can Zoom and meet with their sister Girl Scouts. We can do programming online. We can have our troop leaders and our volunteers meet with each other online. And the more we began to think about it, we realized we have a lot of work to do to shift this and to really step into this new way of working. So I really wanted to help staff see that we may never go back to the way it was before. We don't know. It may be some type of a hybrid model. But in the meantime, what can we do? So we immediately created four teams, four opportunity teams, and they were focused on girl program, troops, all in the virtual world, volunteer support, virtual recruitment. And then we looked at our staff and staff began to sign up to work on these teams. So, you know, we have a facilities manager. Well, right now there's, there's no facilities for her to manage, but she has video editing experience. So she's now spending 30 hours a week with our girl experience team doing the video editing. Our special events person had no special events to put on, but she has a great marketing background. So she's over supporting marketing at this time. And all of a sudden, the walls, our department walls, the I'm in this job or this is my job description kind of fell down and people stepped up to what's the good for the organization and for our girls and how do we get this done? And we had a senior staff member lead this effort and it's been incredible. The ideas, it opened doors to innovation and creativity because we said, everything's open. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to evaluate or judge anything. What ideas are out there? And it provided this focus for staff to think about not, oh, we can't do this or we can't do that. What can we do? And we just heard presentations from the teams on Friday and are moving so quickly already into what they're calling a fast track. They have about five items they want to fast track. But, you know, they held a, they held a camp out two weekends ago, and we had over 1,600 girls participate from 10 states. It was a virtual camp out. That's an example of just people moving into action, activating. And again, I think we're we're realizing how much girls and our volunteers need us and what we can do to step up. So it's really been an incredible time of creating our future. Again, we will go back to girls meeting and troops, but we may also have some only virtual troops because Mm -hmm. girls maybe want to be with other girls from around our 18 county region. That's a very exciting new opportunity. There may be programming that a girl can't get in her car and drive to, but she can do it virtually. So we're really beginning to step into what this means for us. But focusing on it that way gave people hope and a focus for moving through this time instead of just sitting and waiting. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Linda, so many people are realizing, boy, there's a bigger world out there that we can engage virtually than just keeping things on a static situation in our geographical, physical environment. And I hear that from so many people today in every walk of life, whether it's even socially with friends that they haven't seen for a while and realize, hey, that was kind of neat talking to everybody on a Zoom call. We should do that on a regular basis because we don't get together. You said something else, too, that 
I made a note of as you were talking about it, we talked a little bit about vulnerability and the ability of leadership to expose vulnerabilities. But what happens is it sounds like, especially in your case as well, some of these vulnerabilities are proving to be strengths where people say, ah, I just, I just don't do that. And the next thing you realize because of them sharing it, it's something they can do and do well. So, you know, how very interesting. One of the things that you had talked about when we were doing a little bit of prep for this is what is your lesson five in the synopsis here of five points we've talked about. And I want to let you explain it because I am wholeheartedly in agreement and so many people dismiss it for a variety of different reasons. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, to say the least, this is an intense time. Mm-hmm. And leaders are holding the organization or should be holding the organization in a very different way. And it's incredibly exhausting work. There's just no way around that. So it's this ability to to somehow take care of yourself while you're attempting to take care of everybody else. And so I, I always want to show up for our staff with a level of energy that they deserve from me. But so often when I hang up the phone or get off the Zoom call, I have to go lay down for 15 mm-hmm. minutes because it's about stress and it's the type of stress that we're dealing with. It's like somebody talked about the smoke alarm going off and you can't quite figure out how to shut it off, but it keeps beeping. And so it feels a little bit like that when you turn on the news and that smoke alarm mm-hmm. beeping again, you're like, oh my gosh, I thought we just had this figured out. Now we're dealing with that. So that constant, um, almost acute stress can just be exhausting. And I, I think it can be hard for leadership, for folks to just really take care of themselves and say, for me, I'm lucky enough to live around the corner from a park. You know, we live in Land Park and we have a big dog and he's never had so many walks. But you know, Jeff, it's also true. Getting that time alone as a leader is so critical because I have taken so many walks where I just needed to think. I needed to think about what were the questions I needed to be asking? Where were we headed next? What information did I need? And you can't do that when you're constantly on Zoom meetings or answering the phone. Or So I really had to take time out and just literally walk in the park for an hour and just think through what was the next right thing for us to do? Where were we going next? And again, that's hard to do. And I don't have young children. I feel for leaders who are at home with young children and trying to teach them. It's, it's unbelievable. So I feel very blessed that I can get that time alone. I can get the time away. If I have to go to sleep at 8.30 at night, I can. Mm-hmm. But, and also keeping some type of routine. I literally get up as if I'm going into the office. Really keeping that routine for me has been helpful. Yeah, it's a tough one, I think, but really learning how to take care of ourselves during, during this type of stress is just so critical. And you didn't say the word, you exemplified it, but the emotional toll because you care and right. strong leaders yeah. care. And you mentioned that very early in the conversation, there's a, a visceral gut emotional pull on all of this too, as it's not just yeah. yourself, it's everybody around you. And I couldn't, no, it, yeah. yeah, I just couldn't agree with you more. And what we tend to do is 
get mired in the day-to-day and we get wrapped up in everybody's situation. And the next thing you know, you haven't had a chance to exercise. You haven't had a chance to get out. And going home and having a cocktail isn't really the best thing. It's really Mm -hmm. that opportunity to release some of it in some sort of physical endeavor, whatever it be for whomever. And to your point on discipline, another thing that I hear from everybody right now as we're going through the process, I just have to keep some semblance of routine. I have to Mm -hmm. continue. Otherwise, it's chaotic. Yeah. You know, there was a great article um, in the Harvard Business Review that came out in probably the April edition titled The Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just such a an essential way to look at it because grief is a whole nother level of exhaustion. And so that's really what this is. This is a time of not just individual grief, but a collective grief. And so grieving individually, you can kind of get away from it when you go and you're with other people or you do this or that with here, every, everybody's dealing with it. Everybody's dealing with the grief. And so it's pretty heavy, pretty heavy and pretty intense. And I think for that reason, pretty exhausting. Mm -hmm. Is there any closing thought that you might want to leave a listener with as they are going through whatever it is in their organization? And it isn't necessarily going to be a nonprofit organization. It could be a for-profit business that you would say, if there's a key thing, there's just this, if you just get this point right, you're doing pretty darn good. Oh gosh, there's so many things, but I think one thing that pops up for me is some, I don't know who said this, but it's not that we're working from home. It's that we're at home during a crisis trying to work. And I think that puts it into perspective in being empathetic to staff members when you're maybe wanting high productivity. And so I think that's it. It's like we're at home, there's a crisis happening, and we're trying to get work done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely great point. Well, I think we covered a lot. And I want to say thank you because this is a different approach from so many of the other organizations. And I believe a lot of people will be able to benefit if they were getting caught up in the day-to-day and not having the ability to step back and realize, wait a minute, I am in a leadership role. There's a few things I've missed here. Many I've done, a couple I didn't. And what you shared today gives people something to review and something to look at and something to analyze and say, am I taking some of those steps in my organization to the benefit of my team? So I thank you for the time and the ability to do this. Yeah, thank you, Jeff, so much. It's been a pleasure to share our experience with you. If what you heard today moved you, please reach out to that organization and find a way you can support their cause. Thank you for listening. Thank you for any support you can give. This production was made possible by Multipoint Content Strategies and Hear Me Now Studio. 